Hey everyone, Justin here again. Like I said in the last episode, Sean and I have just been super slammed and I wanted to get out these conference classes that I spoke on. In this episode, I spoke about uh, church online content and how live streaming our Sunday services isn't the only thing we as the church should be doing online on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, uh, even TikTok potentially. And I took the time to talk with people and see what they were dealing with in their churches and answer some questions as well because I, I really like to answer questions because it's the best way to get you information. Uh, but yeah, I had a great time uh, at this class. There was about 40-ish people in the class. Um, it was the second class of the day and it was the first time in about 10 years I've spoken in front of a live uh, group of people. Uh, so it was really fun. I had a lot of a lot of fun. So I uh, would love for you guys to take a listen and um, would love for you to write a review. Give me five stars. Uh, Sean and I are working really hard on this whole podcast thing, and we're trying to keep up as much as we possibly can with our full-time job. So thanks so much, guys, and check out this podcast from the conference that I spoke at. Are we ready to start? Cool. Welcome. Most of you guys were here already. There's a handful of new faces. Um, my name is Justin Edmonds. I'm going to for the people that were in the last session, I'm sorry, I'm going to recount Pete who I am. Um, so I have been in Grand Rapids most of my life. Uh, I did some training uh, work at Disney World for a handful of years. I then moved back to Michigan and worked at Resurrection Life Church here in town, uh, which is, I don't do you guys know what that church is? Mm-hmm. It's in Granville, yeah. Sanctuary holds 4,200 people, has about 16,000 members. Uh, so I was in charge of a lot of the tech there, not over departments, but over specific things. Um, I left there in 2016, uh, became a VP for an integrator for church technology, uh, took over when they were doing about 300 grand a year in about two years, I got them up to about 2 million. Uh, in August of 2021, I left and started my own business and I'm here. 90% of what I do is church related. Um, personally work at my own church. Uh, now I'm not res life anymore. Uh, we're at a small portable church that meets downtown Grand Rapids. We're about a hundred, 120 ish people. Um, and we set up every Sunday and tear down every Sunday. Um, so, uh, I, at that church am in charge of all of our online content. And I just got that position about two months ago. Um, but have been doing it for a lot of other churches. I have integrated a full systems, audio, video, lighting, uh, presentation systems for over a hundred churches. Uh, I am not that old. I'm 33 years old. Um, this is a great year for me. It's the year that Jesus died and the year that Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence. So this is my year. (laughs) Um, they asked me to talk about live streaming and I told them I didn't really want to talk about live streaming. Uh, I thought that was kind of boring. Um, so I told them that I wanted to talk about church online media and sprinkle in live stream because that's part of that. Um, so... How many people in here started live streaming because of COVID? Pretty much almost everyone outside of a handful of people. Great. Um, everyone kind of at a church about 300 or less? Everyone? Yeah. Are you guys? Okay. Yeah. That's about 84% of churches in America are 300 people or less. So that's kind of where that ends up being. So um, this is more important to have dialogue back and forth. We had that a little bit in the last session. This one is more driven off of that just because you guys might be doing something that you're not doing and you might be doing something that they're not doing. I don't want to talk about one thing 
that isn't what you guys are doing. So, um, before we start, I kind of want to do a little bit of questions. Why are you guys here? What are you hoping to get out of this? So that that will kind of guide the conversation that I, I talk about. So, anyone want to say why they why they're in this class? Um, so uh, we started doing live streaming pre COVID. Okay. Um, something we started out in only seven, eight, nine, ten. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before you. Um, and so my husband was one of the ones who spearheaded that, and he now is um, has been talking with our pastors about. How do we move forward with an online presence? What does that mean? Right. Are there? How do we reach people who really only their only connection to our church is watching our church online? Mm-hmm. And is there a is there an untapped pool there that we can be reaching those people more than just they just watch online? Mm-hmm. Kind of like people who come into your church and just go to the service and then go home. Right. And how do you reach them to bring them into Sunday school, Bible study, etc.? Yeah. So the same concept that only reaches online. Yeah. Okay. No, that's great. Uh, that's honestly what I was going to talk about mostly is that thought process there. That's kind of what I thought when I saw your thing. So I thought, oh, I <laughs> uh, anyone else? You know, I feel like for our church, we started, I was trying to get us to live stream before COVID, mm-hmm. but then it was COVID that kind of kicked that yeah. ball further down the court, which was nice. For what, was, uh, what was the hesitation for the church to not do it pre-COVID? Is it worth it? Right. Is it worth it? Because yeah. there is investment there. Yeah. And, you know, we, we did start with, like, my wife and I, we had a camcorder yeah. and our laptop, and I'm like, well, let's buy a capture card and let's do this thing. Yeah. And and once they began to see, like, there's value there, and that's kind of where we're at, is yeah. people are beginning to realize, they see the YouTube stats. We, we just streamed through YouTube, and they're beginning to see the stats of how many original visitors we get every week. Yeah. It's not the same people. We get original viewers every week yeah and uh and they're going well wait a minute people know who our church is now and so that's what i'm here is to go all right so now what we've yeah we've had some people every once in a while manage our facebook account yeah you know or some people may be interested in running something for instagram but nobody knows how right to manage those things. yeah totally anyone else cool good <laughs> Sounds good. Um, okay, yeah. So my church was the same way. Uh, my church was anti. They refused to do live streaming before COVID hit. Um, and there was a plethora of reasons why they didn't want to. Some people came from churches that they felt that technology was such a focus of it that it detracted from everything else that they were doing. And they just didn't want to be a part of that. Um, some people just thought, you know, is it worth it? Do we need to spend money on something that one person's going to watch? Some people were of the opinion of, we want people in our church. We don't want people online. And so I'm not going to give them an opportunity to not come here and join us. And um, I had a conversation with someone actually uh, probably three or four years pre-COVID. The church that I was uh, helping out with out in Zealand had just spent a bunch of money on cameras and a full like video suite. Like they decided that we're going to do this and we're going to go all in. And I think they spent like $80,000 on cameras, switchers, pulling cable, all that kind of stuff. What they were doing wasn't just live streaming their service. They were actually filling in for other churches in their denomination that lost pastors and needed someone to fill in. So they were actually live streaming their services, the speaking portion, to those churches to fill in for them. And they ended up doing that for about seven churches. 
Um, so I had a guy from the congregation come in and say, man, we spent a lot of money on all this, you know, like, I don't think we really need it. And I was like, for them, because of how the content was being used, the content from the church was hitting like 10 to 12,000 people every Sunday morning. And so I was like, you say that you'd be willing to spend any amount of money to save one life is what we say in the church. We spent $70,000 and we're having 12,000 people a Sunday. Is this worth it? And he was like, never thought of it that way. <laughs> and I was like, right. Now, and I'm like, so when I talk with clients about live streaming specifically, pre-COVID, I usually said, there's different types of live stream, different reasons to live stream. Which reason are you? Because if your whole reason is because we have a handful of our congregants that are snowbirds or get sick every once in a while, we want them to be able to watch our church then maybe we shouldn't spend $80,000 on video equipment for the six people that are going to watch our sermon. Maybe. I'm like, are you trying to, like you said, create a platform to be online church, like an elevation or a life church? Then yeah, maybe not spend 80 grand up front because it's going to take you a while to get there. Life church and elevation didn't do that overnight. It took them, you know, 10 plus years to get to the statue that there are. But maybe we do spend more money. Maybe we're spending $5,000 or $10,000. You know, are we just trying to let people, you know, and then the other option is, are we just trying to let people know what our church is about? When you invite someone to church nowadays, or when you're searching for a church, what do most people do? They go to the website, they go to the Facebook, they watch the video. They want to know, is the worship something, the version of worship that I like? And is the pastor speaking about things that I like? Do I find him interesting? You know, because there's there's pastors out there that I think give great words, but they talk like this, and I can't stand that. And I won't want to go there because of that. So which version is that? COVID hits, that kind of changes all of that. We have to do it because people don't want to come in because they are scared, regardless of how we feel about things. Maybe they go, you know what, I actually really like it. You know, statistically, people go to church twice a month consistently. That's not everyone. We always have those people that go every Sunday, no matter what. But statistically, a majority of people go to church once to twice a month. And now that we're online, we have found that those people are willing to watch online on the other weeks that they don't come in because they don't want to wake up early, get dressed, drive into church when they can literally stumble out of bed five seconds before church starts or 10 minutes after church starts and not feel like they're going to be judged for walking into worship late. Now they're watching online. So we have different capabilities that people have realized because of COVID. Um, I think that, sorry, there's like a million different directions I could go with this. Um, I think once we've kind of chosen which, our, which way we want to go, now we're kind of starting to get close to the post-COVID world. And we're, you know, because we're meeting in person again. Like for my church, we're meeting in person again already. We've been doing that back for, you know, like a year and a half, two years now. Um, but we kept doing our live stream. And our live stream wasn't being done very well. Our guy was just literally setting up for worship. He had two cameras. He literally set up one camera to cover this side of the stage and one camera to cover this side of the stage. And maybe he would switch between those two cameras. Maybe he wouldn't. And then worship would end and speaking would start. And then he would just follow the pastor. And that was our, our content. There wasn't really any thought really put into it. There was no production. You know, we ended up getting some lower thirds so that people could see lyrics, but we weren't doing scriptures. We weren't doing announcement slides on there. You know, there was no color correction. 
You know, there was like nothing was thought of like this. We had a camera and this is what it was. Uh, I don't like that. I think that that's a waste of our resources. And I am in the proponent of we should be reaching people where they are. Everyone is online. How do we do that? Um, people think that it's hard to c- connect with people online for the church because content has to be perfect. How many people don't do content online because they don't know how to create it? Right. Have you been on TikTok or watched any reels on, on Instagram? Have you done any of that? Like on like generic stuff? You do? I mean, 90% of what TikTok and Instagram reels are is someone going like this. and it gets 10 million views why can't you buy a five dollar tripod set your phone up in front of you and go pastor spoke about giving on sunday and i think that he didn't touch on this and i want to touch on that and talk for two minutes on that that's super simplistic and you hit post there's no editing there's no nothing like we can create that content and it'll go crazy i started doing that i've posted two reels for my church on instagram and it's literally, I took the recording from YouTube, I hit, went to YouTube, hit download on my thing, and I found a 57-second clip of something my pastor said, and I posted it on Instagram, and I got 3,000 views in the first 24 hours it was up. 3,000 people from a church of 100 people watched that video. And you look at the analytics, and they're watching the whole thing, because it's 57 seconds. So I think that the, I want to combat the, I don't know how to do it, and say just, like, just push through it. Now, my, what my church is doing, they've understood that now in the, in the couple months that we've been doing it. And they're now on board and they want more. And they came to me and said, cool, you've been doing this for three months and we already are like, like, everyone's excited. Like, I have congregation people coming up to me going, like, I get to come home during the week and rewatch sermon and I actually like watching it. And they're like, and I love that you're posting reels. And I love, like, I'm literally just... I'm even creating stories that are just, I'm grabbing the, the scripture that pastor spoke on Sunday and throwing it on a background and posting it as a story. You know, like those things are super important that we don't get tons of, and it's not complicated to do. If you have the version app, the Bible app, you can literally click on the verse and then hit image and it'll have all these pre-made images. And it's like, people love that kind of stuff and it's easy to do. Um, what I've been doing now is also trying to, there's, I, will, I consume a lot of content from YouTube creators. I'm a YouTube guy. I have a YouTube channel that I create content for. Um, and so one of the YouTubers I watch, his name is Peter McKinnon, and he's a video guy, a photographer. And he recently, in the last like, couple months, uh, recorded a video and he was talking about, because um, he's been YouTube and he's just been getting into Facebook. He doesn't really do Instagram. He doesn't have a TikTok. And he's like, do I need to do all these things? And he's like, well, I don't want to like divide my attention and then have something drop down. I thought about that for my church and like, how does that like do for us? Because like if we post a lot and then we just don't post for six months, you know, that kind of just defeats the purpose. So I've been trying to pay attention to the accounts that we have and watching how people are interacting. When I post a picture on Instagram, we get three people that like it every like consistently almost every single post that's just a picture post on instagram gets three the most i think i've seen is like six like so does it make sense to spend time creating that content 
when I can spend the time to create a reel that's a minute long and get 3,000 people to watch it. So I'm trying to make my decisions based off of the analytics. You know, watching YouTube and going, okay, I can watch my sermon, I can edit it down so it's just the message and then repost it so I don't have to like edit it and re-upload it and get rid of all the worship that's on there. And we'll get about 30 hours of consumption time on Sunday morning. And then I will go back and watch the month after that sermon has been given and watch how much of that has been consumed. And I would say that we usually sit in the seven to 10 hours of consumption time for the month after it's been posted versus the 30 that we get from Sunday morning. So we're getting a third in 30 days of what we get in one day. And now obviously there's like a level that that makes sense because most people are sitting there for the hour watching the full hour. But what I've noticed in the analytics as I dive in, because how many people actually look at the analytics on, on YouTube? My husband does. You do? No, he's not. Oh, not your husband. husband. No, gotcha. <laughs> 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 Sorry. My husband who's at home with my kids. Yes. Who is the tech guru. Okay. He follows the analytics, and then shares them with the pastors. Right. The analytics are super important because, like, I don't want to spend time and effort and energy on something that isn't doing anything. So I am constantly going, okay, well, what uh, devices are they watching on? Because that's important because the way that you consume content on your TV is different than how you consume on your phone or on a computer. Because if I'm watching on my TV, it's easy for me to just leave it on my TV. If I, you know, like my church does worship and then they do communion and then we dismiss our kids to their class and then we do a three minute break and then we come back, we do announcements and then we do our message and then we do worship again. What I've noticed on our analytics is that three quarters of the people that watch our service are watching on an iOS device, which means iPad or on a phone. What part of that service do you think our viewership tanks? Three minute break. Because... Three-minute break, cool, awesome. Close, sit down, go to the kitchen, you know, or they get on Facebook because they're waiting for that three minutes, and then they get distracted and they go, oh, God, it's been 20 minutes. <laughs> well, not worth going back to that now. So what I have proposed to our team is we need to either get rid of the three-minute timer in person or we need to create content for online to keep people's attention so that they don't disappear. And so everyone's been on board. We're now create, getting ready to start creating content for that chunk of time so that people that are watching on their phones and their iPads don't shut the service off and are actually getting the message, which is the whole point of the live stream. So we're now dedicating some more resources in that scenario. Um, the next thing is uh, what constitutes success on our web stuff? What would you consider as a success success? for your content online? That it is being used in a way to bring people to Christ. How do you measure that though? That's a great question that I don't know that I have the answer for. <laughs> Anyone else? I don't have an idea, like what do you guys do? Like how are you measuring your success? Is it viewership? Is it consumption? Like how much people are consuming? Is it like, what are we doing with that right now? Anyone? Does it bring people in the doors? Right, how do you know that it brings someone in the door though? Right, but uh, can you come like directly correlate that? You have to ask them. Yeah, you have right. to ask when them. They come in. Right. Like, I, I can tell you because like, I've been trying to watch like not just our views. Um, consumption's a little difficult because you've got people like me who's who's in charge of it that are like yeah during Sunday morning even though I'm in the room I'm grabbing my phone. Hundred like, percent. 
my iPad is open watching our, our YouTube channel just because I want to make sure it's going the way that it's supposed right. to. And, and so, you know, I'll watch it for a couple minutes and I'll put my phone away and that kind of ruins my consumption numbers. Yeah. So there's, you know, you kind of take a blend of all those things because, and how people are watching. Um, I think it's funny, like what you said, you've got the iOS, you've got most of ours are Chrome users. Yeah. Um, we've got a couple game consoles. That means people got have the YouTube app on the game console. Yep. Reason. And, and, but then... And the, also, the Chrome is probably Chromecast. Yeah. Yeah. But then when you see people come into church that you have no idea who they are, hey, how did you... You have to ask them. Mm-hmm. Well, how did you find out about right. who we are? And we've seen a change from, well, I saw your Facebook page. We saw your Facebook page or we've listened to sermons online yep. to, hey, we saw your YouTube channel. Right. And... Yeah, so what I would suggest is like doing a next steps thing where it's like you're online creating content online and you're trying to get people to do a next step, like connecting with the church in some way, shape or form, filling out some sort of contact card, you know, that's only related to that online content so that you can quantify that. Because, I mean, I've been in a position where, you know, when I was at Res and they're like, well, this has been so great. Let's spend more money on it. Like, cause you know, I started doing college ministry. We started streaming that and I started rivaling the main sanctuaries online thing. Now the online sanctuary res life was a little bit different because they had the TV show and that's really all they focused on for the longest time. And they didn't really care about the online streaming stuff. Uh, I did. And I was like, okay, well I'm like, let's, you know, like let's pump the brakes, you know, let's look at the analytics. What, you know, how are we getting all of this? And what we were finding was that most people weren't watching a full sermon online. They were watching five or ten minutes and going, yep, like this guy. And then they were coming in person. Mm-hmm. Once we started live streaming, we literally saw our congregation grow within the first six months by about 40%. And, it was, and we were able to directly because we, what we wanted to do for that ministry is we wanted to make sure that the first thing that happened when you walked in the door was that you felt like you were greeted like you were family. You know, like when you go to your family's house, people are excited that you're there. We wanted to make sure that that happened. So when we, we implemented that before we started live streaming, and because we were implementing that already, people were like, like our greeters knew who the consistent people were and knew who the new people were. Hey, why are you here? Like, so glad you're here. Like, and we were able to get that content of, oh, yeah, like we watched, you know, Pastor Kurt speak, you know, last week online because, you know, my buddy goes here, you know, from school and suggested I come. You know, or, hey, we came, you know, because it's college town. So it was like, hey, I'm from Chicago and I was looking for a church and I found that and I watched like 10 minutes of it. So it was like we were realizing that people were watching like 10 minutes. So we started taking our sermons and cutting them into 10 minute chunks and posting them all over the place so that we were getting the retention rate of that uh, because that's all people were watching. And then when you get into YouTube world and you start understanding the science behind YouTube, attention spans of people are six to seven minutes. So that's why most YouTube videos are seven minutes or less because that's what people have attention span for. How many people in here during the week will listen to a sermon all the way through during the week on YouTube, on Facebook, or podcast? How often do you do that? Only when I do it. And you're doing that for like your church or for other churches or and just yeah okay so. Okay. Do you um, do you manage your church, your church's podcast or no? We 
You don't have a podcast. <laughs> so right now, my church's podcast is just our sermon. Like we just pull the audio from our sermon and I post and we post it. We get maybe like ten people that listen to that, and the analytics on that podcast are they listen for about three or four minutes. Because the average person only drives five to ten minutes, and that's what they do. They don't sit there. You know, we have some people like, I mean, I, I listen to podcasts because I'll be working and I'll pull up, you know, an Elevation Church sermon and I'll set it on the second screen and listen to it while I'm, you know, creating quotes and doing all that kind of stuff. Most people don't have those kind of things. Like, my dad doesn't have the opportunity to do that when he works. My, you know, my sister, when she goes to work, she can't do that. Uh, her husband can't do that. My wife can't, doesn't have time to do that. You know, most people don't have that kind of time. And that's why, like, when you look at certain, like, political, like, podcasts, they're usually 15 minutes because commutes to work are about 15 minutes. That's why, like, uh, Chevy, when they created the Volt, you had about 50 miles of battery because the average person drove to work and back is about 50 miles. So that's why they designed that car to be at that point. So you have... All these things where it's like, I have an hour-long sermon or 45-minute sermon or 30-minute sermon. That's really complicated. Some people don't want to get into that because I'm going to be driving for five minutes. And then, you know, like, I'm weird like that because I listen to two-hour-long podcasts, you know, where I will literally listen to a podcast fully until it's done, even if it takes me five days to do it. Like, that's just, I'm weird like that. Not most people are like that. So my church is saying, how do we create content that people are consuming now? Because we want to reach people and we want to, like, make things, like, we want to take over the social media and stuff. And I said, well, we need to start creating content that is in the form that people are consuming content, which is the TikToks, the Reels, stuff like that. Well, how do we do that? Well, we don't have the resources to sit there and film a bunch of stuff right now. So what do we do? Let's take our sermons. Let's cut those down. Let's start posting those. That's easy for anyone to do. I can teach you all how to do that today in about five seconds. There's free software called DaVinci Resolve. It's literally free. You can edit anything you want in there. I could literally teach you how to create a TikTok video right now if we wanted to. You can do that on your phone. You can do it on your iPad. You can do it on anything. The next thing is creating, like I said, sitting down and actually doing something. Like I want to, most people want to dig deeper. Most people on Sunday, you've already heard the service. Do you re-listen to that service? I mean, I don't, I don't re-listen. I mean, I re-listen to it because of what I'm doing, but like, I'm not doing it because I want to re-listen to what pastor said on Sunday. You know, I would like to have more content. So my church just decided, I said, hey, I want to get our leadership team because we don't have a, a specific pastor. We have like a speaking team that rotates. And I'm like, I would really like to every week on Wednesday or Thursday, like let's set up and let's get a group of people together to talk about the message, you know? And be really just free. Have it be a conversation. Don't script it. And I'm like, what, you know, it could be Kevin and Josh and Lisa. Let's start to pull people from our congregation in, you know, and just do that every week. So it's not the same person. And be able to spend 15 to 30 minutes just talking about it. Be honest, be open, be generic, and be authentic. Because that's the biggest thing is, like, you need to be authentic because that's what makes things popular and that's what people want to consume. Like they're, I don't know, I, like I said, I consume a lot of content. Anyone watch like videos on, on Facebook all the time? And you see the people that are like, there's such and such prank on my wife. And you start watching it and you go, this is fake. Like she knows that this is happening. 
And like, they're just creating this thing. I skip those constantly now because there's a ton of people that are doing them and they have 10 million views because people don't realize that they're fake. But now like those, you're watching those pages start to fall off the top charts because everyone now realizes that this guy, every single thing he does is set up in fake and people don't like fake. So they want authenticness. And sometimes you can script authenticness, but a lot of times that is just having a conversation. As long as you have the right people in those places, that's easy. Like I've literally recorded podcasts where I've turned my voice memo on my phone, set it between me and one other person. And we talked and it sounded great. No one would have ever known. One of the biggest uh, guys that I listen to, um, I will preface this, he swears a ton. So don't listen to him if you don't like that. Um, but he is a content creator, entrepreneur, uh, which is why I really like listening to him. And most of his podcasts are the worst sounding podcasts I've ever heard. Like half of the time, it sounds like someone re- hit record on their phone and set it on the other side of the room and then they're having a conversation. Uh, but the content's so good that I want to hear what he has to say because he was, an, he was an investor in TikTok. He was an investor in Facebook when it started. And like everything that he has said about where the industry is going and how con- content's consumed has come true. So it's like, that's why I listen to him so much. And he's an entrepreneur and he loves, like, uh, he works with Dave Ramsey now. Um, but listening to that content and understanding that, like, wow, like, his podcast sounds terrible. But he'll have a seven-minute conversation with someone in his car or he'll just have a thought and he'll record it and put it out there. And he's putting out, like, four podcasts a day that are three, 10, 30 minutes you know, but then it's like he speaks at a conference and it's 30 minutes of him talking and 15 minutes of question and answer. And he'll post that too. Like he's just creating all this content, 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 because he knows that not everything he does is going to hit for everyone. Like I'll skip a lot of the things he does, but like he thinks his, his opinion is that you should be posting three to five pieces of content a day because of how the algorithms work. Because if I like your church's Facebook page, I'm not going to see your content. Most likely organic reach on Facebook is completely dead because Facebook wants you to pay for it. Now you will, you still are in people's feeds, but like you think about how many Facebook pages do you, do you like, like how many Facebook pages do you like? Are you on Facebook? Okay. How many, how many? <laughs> do you, do you see those four pages go, show up in your feed though? Yes. You do actually see them. Okay. And it's probably because of, of the limited. Right. So like for me, like most of the churches that I follow, I don't see like I follow and I actively go to Elevation Church's Facebook page to look at their content and they do not organically show up in my feed because they want Elevation to pay Facebook to show up in my feed. And so with that, but what they can do is they are posting five or six times a day because the algorithm can't ignore that when I like that page specifically, so they may post six things a day. I may see one of those, mm-hmm. maybe. So that's why, you know, and that's hard. And I'm not saying that we should all be doing that because I can't do that for my church. I don't even have enough content for my church to do that right now. You know, for them, because of their size, they can do that. So it's one of those things. It's like being able to pay attention to how that content is being created and seeing where your people are. My people are on Instagram liking photos. So I'm probably not going to post many photos now because it's a waste of my time. You know, are people watching on Facebook? Are they clicking and liking your stuff on Facebook? 
you know, we have probably 500 people like our Facebook page and we get maybe 80 people that can that see our content because they have to be intentional about it. I stopped posting on Facebook and I'm only posting stories because our stories are actually getting traction because they'll put, because Facebook wants stories to be a new big thing. So they're pushing everyone to stories. So right now stories are hot. So you post on stories, you're going to get more interaction. And then once people are looking at your story, then they're coming to our actual page because they want to see what other content we're posting. So I am still posting on our Facebook page, but I'm posting a majority of what we do is stories. And then on Instagram, I'm starting to use our Instagram as our bulletin. So any of our announcements and stuff like that, I create a story for it. And then on Instagram, you can actually put in like a highlight. So I don't know if you guys have ever been on Instagram where you see the, the circles above all the squares. Those are highlights. So those are our stories. So like we're doing small groups right now. So we created a, a story for every small group. I post that, put it in the highlights. So you go to our Instagram page and you can click on small groups and it shows you like all the content there. So we're using that as a bulletin uh, type thought process. So it's like you want information, go to our Instagram and you can see all the announcements for events. And then that's also how we're telling people that things are canceled, you know, because more people are watching our, our story feed than anything else. Uh, our open rate for our MailChimp like e-bulletin, I think is like 20%, which isn't bad, but it's also not super great. Um, so to kind of like recap, you know, things to look for are traffic, device types. Those are important because that'll like dictate which direction you guys should go. Like if people are watching on the computer and they're only watching that thing, like let's put more, more focus into that. So watching the analytics is going to be super important because that'll help you choose what to do. And I would suggest that you do one thing, get that done, figure out how to do that, get consistent with that, and then add something else. Because the worst thing is, is like, I've failed on my own th side of things when I've been trying to, okay, well, we have to do stories, we have to do reels, we have to do this, we have to do this, we have to do this. And then I end up not doing any of it because it's so much. And then it's like, it's all chaotic and everything is terrible. So it's like, okay, I focused on watching the analytics, deciding what to do, what not to do, and then just focused on that. So like, like I said, no Instagram, let's focus on Facebook. Okay, cool. We have a lot of people that are subscribed to our YouTube channel. Let's start creating content for our YouTube channel. So we just had our meeting this week and we're all on the same page of which, what we're going to do. So we're going to start creating content for YouTube specifically for our church that we can be, you know, posting. And that's going to be, um, like testimony videos and things like that, that we're not probably going to show in our service. We're just going to post it online. Um, and a lot of people are like, well, you know, a lot of the people from our church came from other churches and they were saved before and they just left that church and came here. So it's like, I was like, yeah, but their testimony is still a testimony. Like it's not what the church did. It's what God did. And they go to our church. So let's record a testimony video of someone that got saved 30 years ago. What the, why they're radically changed, why, how God did that. And because they, that's all the same things we believe, you know? So it's like, Getting out of the mindset of, like, it has to be directly related to our church, like, it doesn't. Like, if you got saved 20 years ago and you've been going to your church for a year, it doesn't really matter. Your testimony is still your testimony, and it can still do that. How long are you making those? Um, those are, we, we're kind of up in the air, and some people's are longer. Because we're creating them for YouTube, we're going to, like, we're going to be intentionally making them less than seven minutes. So depending on how well, and that'll depend on the person and how well they can articulate things. Some of them will be three minutes. Some of them will be seven minutes. 
Like we're probably like we're gonna shoot our our pastor and his wife. Part of their story is that he was really verbally abusive to his wife, and like she almost left him type thing, and like before they were saved. So that story's a little bit longer. So that will probably be on the longer side. Um, but then there's other guys that are like, yeah, I did a bunch of drugs, and then one day, you know, my buddy Scott at the gym told me, you know, that Jesus loved me randomly, and that's all he said to me, and then that sparked something in me. Like, that testimony video will probably end up being, like, three minutes-ish. Um, and then we're also setting something up to where if someone, like, has an epiphany or just has something that's awesome that happened with them, like, hey, I didn't think I was going to be able to pay my rent because I lost my job, and my neighbor came up to me and gave me the to the penny amount of money for my rent, which we had someone in our congregation have that happen. And they were like, they were just so excited about it. We took them over off to the side and I just literally pulled my phone up and like recorded them saying that. And then I'm going to let the pastor choose whether we post that or not. You know, my opinion is like, let's record everything we possibly can and then choose if we're going to post it later or not. Um, so with those, like the testimonies, I, I mean, you said with that one, you just pull out your phone. But with all those testimonies, are you tending to record those like on your equipment at church or just have them do it on their phone at home? No, we're recording that. So like we're going to, we're like, we have cameras and audio equipment and lights. So we have like a, sm- a small set that we're setting up right now. So we're going to start recording that like with our stuff. So it's going to take time. It's going to be scheduling, you know. So there's, our team is a little bit bigger on that side of things where we have like three or four people that are like working and all that kind of stuff. So. I was just kind of rapid firing a bunch of stuff. Any any other like questions like that you guys are like wanting to understand or get my opinion on? Is there a way that you help people get over nervousness when you're asking them to share those kinds of things publicly online? Yes. Conversation. <laughs> okay. yeah. A lot of times what I'll do is if people are like severely nervous is like I'll hit record and I'll just start talking with them. Like uh, the best way is like, uh, what's your name? Brenda, Brenda, you know, like, so what we're going to do here is we're going to, I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm going to kind of guide you and just need you to answer them. So, you know, like let's practice real quick, you know, you know, what, what was the, the, the moment, you know, that you realized, you know, that you needed to change. Well, you know, I might do this and I might like just start to like talk with them like we're practicing, but the camera's recording already. Because a lot of times, like, people go, they don't know the camera's recording and they think we're practicing, so they're a lot more relaxed. And then it's like, oh, cool, we're good. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, we recorded that whole thing. Because in editing, I can, I can take out all of my stuff. And I, I can, like, you can make, in editing, you can really, like, twist what people say if you wanted to. And, that, and that's a really negative, but that's a good thing, too, because I can put things together and make sure that their story is told correctly. Because what I've found sometimes too, is that like people will forget details and then they'll bring the details up later. So I can go and grab that detail and bring it up here. And as long as I edit it correctly, it won't feel like it's from a second, you know, separate section of them talking. And that's why it's usually good to have two angles as well. Or um, a lot of times what I'll do is if I only have one camera, I'll record in a higher resolution. So like 4k or something like that. And I'll actually frame it a little bit wider so that I can, because I can push in an editing and I can pull out an editing at that point. And then it looks like I have two cameras, even though I only have one uh, type thought process. So the editing side of things gets a little bit more interesting. And there's a lot of techniques that you can do to kind of create that kind of stuff. But yeah, that's the way that I would do that. Um, When it comes to other types of content that isn't like their story, 
Um, like we did an Advent video uh, a year ago, and she was our pastor. She was really nervous, and we didn't do a teleprompter. She was told we were going to do a teleprompter apparently, and so she talked like this a lot. And the Advent story is this, and it was like okay, like let's relax. And I ended up just getting bullet points on a piece of paper, and I was like, okay, so this section, these are the four things you got to cover. However you want to say that, say it that way. But just make sure you cover these four things. And then in editing, I took those things and I made it all make sense. You know, type thought process. So there's a lot of those things. It's, it's editing is probably going to be your, your biggest help in that scenario. Um, the other things about, uh, you will probably only see about 20% of your following interact. If you're at 20%, you're doing good. A lot of times that seems really low. But that is kind of the industry standard. Like if you can see that you have 150 people that are liking your page and if you have 60 people that are liking or like it's saying that's reached that many people, you're doing pretty good. And sometimes the numbers can really defeat us. Don't let them defeat you. To be honest with you, there's a level of like numbers that I would just completely ignore uh, to a certain extent. Like numbers are good to guide us where we're going to put things, but don't let them completely defeat you if you know what we're creating is good. Like for Instagram, creating a, a picture, you know, that's only getting three likes, it doesn't really matter to me because no one's consuming it. And it's not something that I think is like a hill that I need to die on. If I'm only getting 100 views on a reel, reels are the thing and reels are, you know, like what I think the content needs to be. And like on YouTube specifically, it's such a hill to climb that it takes a long time because, like, I look at my numbers. It was really funny. I was like, man, my YouTube channel, I've been doing it consistently for a year. They say about 100 videos in is where you can start to, like, see, like, being monetized and starting to make money off that. And I'm like, I'm only at 350, like, subscribers on my YouTube channel. And I was, like, feeling kind of down. And then I was, like, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking. They're like, yeah, 84% of churches in America are 300 people or less. 97% of those 84 are under 100 people. And I was like, I have a congregation of 350 people, essentially, on my YouTube channel. And, like, once I had that, like, realization, you know, it's like, yeah, and I'm only getting, on average, like, 20 or 30 views. Occasionally, like, I post a video that's great and I get 1,000 views. Like, that's awesome. But, like, remembering that it takes time and you're going to have to change what you're doing. You're going to do something and go, this just isn't working. And then you're going to do something else that you think is super dumb. And everyone loves it for some reason. You know, and then it's like, okay, well, maybe we make more content like that. You know, like, because that's what everyone loves. Um, but, yeah, vertical video is your friend <laughs> today. Uh, the 16 by 9. Huh? I know. It's so funny. I remember posting memes and getting in straight up arguments where it's like, hey, guys. Turn your phone sideways when you're recording that. Now, outside of YouTube, do you watch, you know, horizontal video at all? It's all vertical. Stories, reels, it's all that way. And a lot of that is because people are just scrolling, you know, and they're 30-second videos, 15-second videos. And that's why that content has been such a, an important thing. So, you know, our live stream is, you know, obviously 16 by 9. And when I create a reel, I'm literally cropping it in, and it's literally the pastor fills up the entire screen. You know, and it's because of that's just what people are consuming. So our live stream will never change from that because when you're sitting there watching the full length service, you still want to watch it like a TV show. And that makes sense. But like 
when you're talking about creating content for online specifically that's not that live stream it's it's going to be vertical right now until the industry changes uh and i don't really foresee that happening anytime soon like we're talking probably 10 years from now but everyone in this room can create content for your church and it will be success as long as you're doing it because god told you to do it you're praying about it and it is you know driving and supporting the the vision of the church that's the biggest thing like you don't want to do something that is not part of the vision of the church um, and obviously make sure that you have permission to do it all. <laughs> um, you brought up something that I asked you to put a pin in that I yes. wanted to talk about this. So the way we're doing things right now is we're, you know, doing a live stream yep. and the live stream typically has like the pastor and then we've got an inset with the, with his slides. Yep. And it's single camera, and it's kind of boring, and I'm trying to figure out how I can maybe make it more interesting and more engaging to yeah. watch without, like... So is that slide up there just all the time? Most of the time. I mean, once he, it's kind of like when he's actually going through the main part of the sermon, because usually we have, like, the, the scripture is up on there, and his main points are up on there, and then I see him put down his... Uh, his uh, whatever the... Clicker. Clicker. <laughs> I see you put the clicker down. I'm like, okay, he's done with that, so we'll pull it off because now he's just into. I'm going to talk for a while. Yeah. Um, but most of the time, it is just. How are you streaming to the web? Are you going to like OBS? Yeah. Are you using ProPresenter Seven? No. What are you using? Uh, our slide generators currently uh, just PowerPoint. Just PowerPoint. Yeah. So that gets kind of complicated in certain aspects of things because, like, for instance, you're using OBS. If you were using ProPresenter 7, uh, there's a thing called NDI. I don't know if anyone knows what that is. ProPresenter 7 will create an NDI feed that you can then make that go away, change that. You can do lower thirds. Will ProClaim do that? Huh? Will ProClaim do that? I honestly don't know. Similar? I don't. Pastor doesn't like ProPresenter. He would much rather us move to ProClaim. Does your that's the direction we're probably going to go. Is your pastor the one that's running it? No, but he makes some good points, and we're not, like, really... He wants to... I don't know, My argument would be that he's not the one that's running it, and if ProPresenter 7 solves all the problems that we need to solve, then that's the way we should go. Now, obviously, if he yeah. is the ultimate say and he just tells you no, then obviously we have to, like, honor that. Uh, so what would you do with the NDI feed? The NDI feed for me, what I would do is I would be create, I'd be start creating lower thirds because like it, it depends on the type of content that they're creating. Like for us, most of the, like ninety eight percent of the content for us is scriptures or lyrics to songs. So with that, I create lower thirds that just go at the bottom, and when I clear the slide, it clears on the on the live feed, so it's not always on there. Right. You know, type thought process. And then for you with a single camera to like make that a little bit less static and boring is doing some slight zooms and stuff like that you don't want to get too crazy because uh, you know again this comes in the analytics most of our people are watching on phones if i'm doing a head-to-toe shot does everyone know what a head-to-toe shot is literally what it sounds like it means the camera zoomed out enough where you can see the toe and you can see the head like imagine you're watching on that screen and if you see my pastor he's this big <laughs> okay like the idea is like when i sit down uh and to have coffee with you to interact with you like we're sitting here like i can see the expression on your face i can see all like the, all of those things are super important so that's why when you watch a lot of these talking head things it's that way it's that belt buckle like texas shot 
you know, but if you have one camera, if it's just past your walking back and forth at that same frame, that can get really boring. So doing a slight zoom out to where it gets to like his calves or gets all the way to his head to toe shot for a little bit. And then you're slowly zooming back in, you know, and then you sit on that tight shot for five or six minutes and you do a little zoom out, you know, that's really simple. Like that can really kind of mix that up without adding more equipment. And then doing something like an NDI feed to get those lower thirds or even just a secondary output that does it could be the answer for you there. Resolved some of those issues at our church with a really large church that got rid of two cameras. Mm -hmm. Ended up donating it to a, a pastor connection. Nice. With a used ATEM. Yeah. So now I can run lower thirds from the PowerPoint through that. Yeah. Because the ATEM will key it out. One close and one far that they have a, a TV screen on stage with them that essentially gives you the yeah. content there. Or I can go straight to the computer if I need to. Yeah, another way that I've done that is, uh, so like we had a, we had, I had a church that they didn't want to upgrade all their stuff, but they, they paid me to come in and help them figure out how to make it look a little bit better. Their camera was 4K and it was coming into, the, into OBS. So what I ended up doing is being able to create a switcher inside of OBS and because, you know, no one lets you stream in more than 1080p right now because of the amount of people that are doing it, I created a canvas that's 1080p with my 4K image, and then I literally added it in, zoomed in, and then I added another one that's cropped out so that it made it look like I had two cameras. You know, it's kind of the same. So I was kind of doing like a post-production edit-like trick in my live stream, and in OBS, I was just switching between those two shots, even though it's one camera. You know, so, because the one person's following pastor, you know, and it's like, okay, cool. So what we're gonna do is you're gonna give me, you know, thigh up shot so that it's a little bit wider, and then I, in, like I said, in the one, I just zoomed that image in to be that belt buckle shot. And then I put the other one as that full shot and I was able to toggle between the two of them. So uh, that's probably the easiest way to do it in those scenarios. Um, but I, I'm a big proponent of obviously staying respectful to leadership, but also pushing back on things where it's like, is it because he actually has real reservations for legitimate reasons? Or is it because he doesn't like it? You know, but if ProPresenter is our answer, then we should probably be on that answer. Now, he thinks ProPresenter is hard to use, and he wants to, put his, he wants to put his slides directly into it. So he wants to do the Proclaim because they've got the whole cloud-based thing, and so he can just run Proclaim on his computer and put all of his slides in there, mm -hmm. and then they magically show up. And I know we can do a lot of that with ProPresenter as yeah. well, but he finds ProPresenter difficult to use. I disagree with him, but that's, you know, people have different workflows and approaches, and it doesn't work for him. I had an old, um, I had an employee that we switched over. He was in sales and we switched over our software and he was just complaining constantly about it. And he was, he's old enough to be my dad. And I said to him, I was like, listen, man, I was like, you sound like my dad right now. My dad had a conversation with me years ago, you know, where he was like, when I was 16, I was techie. Like I knew everything. He's like, now all of this, like literally just like over my head. And I said, yeah, but I've watched you go, doesn't work. <laughs> doesn't work. And I'm like, you're not trying. Like, you're frustrated because it's different. And I'm like, but once I've shown you, like, he refused to get an iPhone. Refused. And he lives in Florida. I live in Michigan. All his grandkids live in Michigan. And they don't get up here very often, like, maybe once a year, maybe. 
he ended up finally getting an iPhone and he FaceTimed with my kids and like called me like crying, like, oh my God, I'm so sorry I waited so long to get this phone, you know, like, and he's like, it was just so frustrating. I was so scared of using this thing. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm like, now he's had an iPhone for six years and it's not a problem. It's not frustrating and it's not complicated because he's gotten used to it. So I understand that and I don't want to ignore that. But like I said, if Proclaim does what we need it to do, then great. Let's just do that. If we can get both of those worlds. But if Proclaim doesn't do what we need it to do, and the only hesitation is because Pastor thinks it's complicated, in my opinion, that's not a good enough reason and, to not and, do and it. And that's, it's not a hill that he's willing to die on. It's just okay. he, he has a strong preference towards it. But if the if we decided that it would be, we'd be better off with Pro Presenter, I think he would accept that. He might not like it, but I mean, he's, he's not going to argue with it either. He'll let he, He's open enough that he'll understand the reasons. If, okay. if there's a technical requirement for us to do what we need to do, yeah. we can't get there from here, you know, he'd be okay with that. Yeah. Let's uh, connect, and I'll give you my contact card. I'll, I'll do you some... Re- oh, you already did? Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, why don't you shoot, shoot me a text or shoot me an email, we'll connect, and I'll, I'll dig into Proclaim and see if it does what I, th- what I want it to do. Okay, cool. Awesome. Anything else? We're talking about generating content, different content for the different platforms. Yeah. If you're a one-man show and you're generating content, how do you feel about dispersing that same content across different Love it. Okay. Reuse old content. Like, I mean, the thing is, is like the Word of God doesn't change. So your pastor says, you know, hey, you know, First Timothy 1, 2 says this, and he has a good thing, and we posted that, say, six months ago. Repost that. Right. Second Timothy didn't change, <laughs> you know? And the thing is, like, you had maybe 100 people watch it. Well, maybe 100 new people watch it. Maybe someone already saw that and needed a reminder. Like, I don't have a problem with reposting content. So would you, when you're going through, like, an edit, would you be going through and it's like, oh, this is great, and this is great, this is great, and just creating a little library of, like, one-minute things? Yeah, so I don't even do that. You know what I did? I have a leadership team of volunteers that love our church, and I go, hey, would you mind doing me a favor? Could you go back three weeks and watch Lisa's message and just pull a couple clips that you think are great and send it to me? Just get on the YouTube channel. I get consumption time <laughs> from them doing that. <laughs> I get some pull, some polls where they literally go, oh, that was so good. And they go, hey, yeah, so she said at 3 minutes and 33 seconds all the way up until like 4 minutes and 58 seconds. Sometimes they're 6 minutes. Sometimes they're like 30 seconds. And then I'll go through and spend a little bit of time and I'll watch it in context to make sure – I'm not skipping something that's really good or whatever, but that really narrows it down for me. I mean, I do that too, but it's like I have, you know, I'm literally grabbing people that literally are our facilitators that walk up and say, hey, welcome to church. So glad. And like, that's what they do. You know, I'm like, because it's easy for any of those people to sit down, watch YouTube for 40 minutes, you know, and honestly, most of the time they may not even watch the whole service. They may be able to pull three clips in the first half of sermon, you know, type thought process. And it gets them involved too. So if you aren't streaming to something that, uh, um, say you're streaming just to Facebook mm-hmm. that's kind of stuck in the dark ages of 720p, yep. um, would you uh, recommend then um, trying to uh, record um, a local high-resolution copy yes. that you can have people send you clips from and then chop up yourself yes so i would be a hundred percent i'm a huge proponent of saving as high quality versions of everything so we record 
We have Blackmagic uh, studio cameras that you can record on the SSDs, and we have a Blackmagic HyperDeck that you can record on an SSD. So I have my stream from YouTube that I can record, and I have those recordings as well. I don't store all that stuff like super long term. The HyperDeck is literally recording what is going out to the internet anyways. And it's a really nice, because when you stream, there's a compression to get that online. So the quality automatically de degrades there. My HyperDeck is giving me a full uncompressed like version of that. And that for our entire worship, in, so about an hour and a half is about 12 gigs of, of like that's how big the file is. Um, we spend $100 a year for Google Drive. That gives us two terabytes of storage. So I can store, you know, a lot of sermons on there. And then eventually what will happen is I'll take those like sermons that when we get to this point where it's like they're two or three years old, I'll probably end up dumping them into like Amazon Glacier, which is, you know, like 10 cents a month, you know, and if I ever need it, I can call for it and then they'll, they'll, they'll get it to me type thought process. But for now, we're just using Google Drive. And so I upload that it takes about an hour to upload it. And then I can have the all my team go and watch the video, and then they go, here's the things from Lisa's sermon, here's the things from Kevin's sermon, here's the clips from, you know, the Times, and then I can pull all of those down at home from Google Drive and edit that all out. Do you know if OBS records prior to the streaming compression or after? Uh, prior. It records what the computer is seeing. Yeah. So, so OBS, it, it'll have two different settings. So you can be, what you're recording to the disk can be completely, totally different settings than what you're actually sending out. Just yep. make sure that you store it, store it in the markup format, because if you try to get straight like one before, if anything breaks in the middle, you lose your entire file. Yeah, you've got to translate later. Yep. If you, do have a, if you do have an A10 switcher or something, unless it's one of the ones that's designed to record all of the camera streams separately, yeah. it will, like, if you mess up with putting up the slides at the wrong time, It'll also capture that as well. So uh, it can it can yeah. sometimes be a good idea to record straight from the camera so that yeah. all of the post stuff you can pull from the purpose. <laughs> 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 all right, so we gotta wrap up. So live streaming is great, but I don't think that that's the end all be all. I think we should be doing more than just that. Uh, and I don't think that it is as complicated as people think it is. There's a lot of resources online on YouTube to teach you how to do things. There's free free stuff like DaVinci Resolve is free. That's a video editing software that's unbelievably powerful. Um, like it's more powerful than some of the paid uh, software that's out there. It's called DaVinci Resolve. Um, and it being able to just pay attention to where your congregation is and what is hitting is going to be the important thing. So... Awesome. Thanks, guys. This is uh, the second time I've ever spoken in front of people like this, so uh, hopefully I did great. Good. <laughs> uh, if you guys want my contact info, I've got business cards, and I have uh, I can give you emails, and you can follow me on YouTube and stuff like that, too. <laughs>